This week, I bought the shoes that I am wearing this morning. Converse All-Stars, also known as Chuck Taylors, Chucks, Cons. They're known by a number of names in uh, the larger culture. Apparently, Converse All-Stars are practically immortal. They have been around forever and ever, and they just keep coming around. So here's what I thought earlier this week. I thought, man, those shoes must have been around from, I mean, like as long ago as when my mom was a kid. And uh, which is only like 50 years ago, right, Mom? Yeah. Uh, which I thought would make for fairly old shoes since Nike comes out with a new everything every year, right? I get to look in. Uh, Converse All-Stars first produced in 1917. That means they're, they're almost, they've been around all, longer than almost everybody in our congregation, right? Yeah. 1917, hard to believe. They were produced as an elite shoe for professional basketball players, and they remained the chosen footwear for the most visible players at every level of competitive basketball for 60 years. I remember seeing them on two of my favorite players from my child and teen years. Um, these are the two best basketball players ever. We will not be, we will not be discussing that because Dr. J and Larry Bird own it, people, okay? Michael Jordan's a really good golfer, but he's no Dr. J and he's no Larry Bird, okay? Plays a little bit of baseball. Heard he plays some round ball too. I wore the uh, the Converse All-Star low cuts when, when I was a little kid. And while the uh, All-Stars soon disappeared from competitive basketball, uh, just within a couple of years after watching Dr. J and Larry Bird uh, debut. Uh, They resurfaced again in the 1980s as the chosen shoe for every skateboard riding punk that you could find. That was me, okay? So that wasn't a slur. Um, I had two pairs of high tops back in my high school days, the classic black ones, and then white with pinstripes. Anybody, okay, any 80s people remember the white ones with pinstripes? Okay, yes, I see that hand, Tabitha. Thank you. Good. Um, see many of you wearing Converse All-Stars these days too. They've made a resurgence in popularity over the last couple of years, but, um, beware of this fact. They are probably going to go underground again very soon because they have had all the cool sucked out of them. Because this week I was at pastors and wives retreat and nothing kills cool like pastors. And I saw a bunch of people wearing them. So, um, Yeah. I mean, I know who I am, so you can laugh and uh, admit it, but they they will come back, people, because they are Converse all-stars. They are here to stay, okay? We've been studying the New Testament book of Acts together, and we've been looking at one incredible story after another after another, one mind-blowing, miraculous event after another, all given as illustrations of one single same point, and that point is this. Christ followers have been given the Holy Spirit so that they can experience all of the power and courage necessary to share the Jesus story and the Jesus life effectively whenever God presents the opportunity. And so we've been given careful consideration to that and also to the why and the what of the life of the early church. Now, this is the group participation point in the sermon. So just go ahead and talk out loud with me if you know what I'm talking about. The reason why the early church did everything they did was because Jesus said, make more disciples. Exactly. So that was the why behind everything they did. It's the why behind everything we're going to do. The, the what, the answer to what did they do is three words. What are they? Connect, grow, and serve. Connect with God and with other people 
grow in your faith by studying the scriptures and practicing devotion to him and then serve and you will find that it is the best life available to human beings. Connect, grow, serve. For the next few weeks, I want to study some of the larger than life characters from the book of Acts, a group of people that I like to refer to as the conversion all-stars. Okay, thank you. Uh Uh-huh, some of you will get that later. That's okay. Uh, These guys all became followers of Jesus and also became examples to all of us who are trying to follow Jesus today. They're good, believable examples because of two things. The first is this. All of these guys, all of the conversion all-stars, took the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so seriously that they just turned all of life into this pursuit of sharing the Jesus message and the Jesus life with other people. And it filled them with a sense of confidence where they really thought people would say yes. So they just went everywhere and talked about Jesus everywhere they went. This is the first reason that I want to hold these people up to you as believable examples. The second reason is this, because all of these people occasionally messed up and messed up big time. Come on, we need both of those things, don't we? in the examples. I mean, it's great to read fables from the past. It's great to read mythology about perfect beings. But the reality is that where you and I live, we need to see people who have their hearts screwed on straight and their heads at least half of the time, right? We need to see some people who intended well, but who occasionally make not so great decisions but recover fairly well. And you'll find that to be the case in all of the conversion all-stars. They are people who took the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit so seriously that with confidence they would share the message of Jesus with anybody who would hold still long enough to hear it. And then occasionally they'd mess up and somehow find their feet again. I think that uh, that's what we're looking for, is a real God who's really present, makes a real difference, for real people who live in a world like ours, people who are less than perfect. Both those things make a real difference for me, so I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks pointing those things out to you. First up, a guy by the name of Saul. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times that preaching, I think, is often supposed to be melodrama. And that's uh, when you go to the theater and it's half drama and half comedy and The crowd is supposed to participate. They're supposed to provide the sound effects. They're supposed to respond to the characters who are on the stage. And in our melodrama for this morning, Saul is one of the cues. His first appearance in the the book of Acts, first several appearances, are sinister and dark and evil and mean. He's the guy who, when you hear his name, you're supposed to let out a low, Well done, Samson. Thank you. Yes, gets points for participating in class. And if you were to appear on the stage, you would turn the ooh into a boo, and the whole crowd would, you know, throw soft things at at him. Yeah. Uh, He was one bad hombre and of the worst kind, a religious bad hombre. And we all recognize the unfortunate fact that religious mean people are the meanest mean people in the whole world, right? Come on, be honest. Well, that was Saul. 
Saul was raised to be religiously mean and he took to it like a duck to water and he became really, really good at being the religious mean guy. He was one of the leading young personalities in this mean-spirited sect of Judaism that was called the Pharisees. And if you've heard much at all about the life of Jesus, you'll remember that he got into a number of verbal gunfights with these guys and it was always over their religious meanness. Jesus was constantly busting on the Pharisees because they would get mad at him for hanging out with the wrong kind of people or for healing people on the wrong day of the week. Jesus' response was, really? There's a wrong day of the week to help people? Hmm. He always got into a fight with them over that and thought that it was worth it. The other reason that he got so mad at the Pharisees is because they took good people who had already decided that they would love God with everything they had. And the Pharisees made even them feel like they were very, very, very far away from God. Well, those guys hated Jesus and would constantly start arguments with him. So Jesus would just, you know, win the argument, eat their lunch, tear their arguments to shreds and go on. There's a good chance if you if you look at Bible timeline, there is a good chance that Saul, whom we later called Paul, was at a front row seat on some of those famous duels between Jesus and the Pharisees. See, Paul was a Pharisee who was born in Tarsus, up many miles away, up in uh, modern-day Turkey. But he was schooled in Pharisaism. Because he was such a good student at it, they sent him to Jerusalem as a young man. And he studied under a guy by the name of Gamaliel, who was also a Pharisee. And Gamaliel was on the uh, on the stage earlier in the book of Acts in the very first days of the church. So there's a really good chance that the guy who we later knew as the Apostle Paul sat right there, stood right there on the streets of Jerusalem, listening as a boy to these classic arguments between Jesus and the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees thought that they had managed to get Jesus killed and that that would just take care of that whole problem. It was over and done with. They didn't realize that Jesus had willingly placed himself in a position to become a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Neither did they realize, hardly anybody else, that he would rise again, giving people the hope that they too could have a whole new kind of life if they got connected in healthy ways with God. But when people by the thousands and thousands began to believe these things and to experience these things, the Pharisees knew that they were in trouble and that they were going to have to stamp out this new phenomenon called Christianity if they were going to retain their place and their power in society. And that's the first thing that I want you to note about Saul as an example of the Christian faith is that at first he did not believe it at all. Got a chance to hear Jesus teach? Watch these first few people who stood up for Jesus, listened to their arguments, knew the scriptures, and didn't believe. I know that not everyone who attends a worship service in a church on a Sunday morning believes the Jesus story. And honestly, I'm pretty glad about that. Because I want First Naz to be a place where people who don't believe feel welcome to come and check out our faith and our God and our relationships with one another. So today... If you're at the place in your life's journey where you're checking out spiritual things, I think you're in a really great place. And there's a great example for you to consider from the Bible. The life of a man named Saul. Check him out because he started out where all of us do, in the place of unbelief. 
Now, I'm hoping that as you follow the story of Saul, that you don't repeat the next part of Saul's faith journey, because um, Saul was the guy who put it in gear, reverse, and stood on the gas and headed as far away from Christ as he could. Started out in the place of unbelief, but he went the wrong direction thereafter. He was engaging in this campaign to stamp out the Christian faith because he believed that not only was the Jesus message and the Jesus life not for him, he thought that the message was for no one at all. So what did he do? He began to sharpen his mind and his sword. He armed himself intellectually with every protest that he could imagine. Every idea that he could find that might point out the folly of this whole Jesus thing. He looked for every conceivable way to argue against Jesus being who he said he was. And he tried to use those things to cause disbelief in the minds and hearts of other people. He made that the very first part of his mission to convince people to reject Jesus and his message. When that proved to be a losing battle, Saul decided to work the political angles and the connections that he had developed over the years and to harass people into rejecting the gospel. And when that didn't work, he went and got his hands on an executive order that gave him the power and the authority to round up Christians, arrest them, and even execute them. And he started locally there in Jerusalem, but soon turned his efforts into an international campaign to remove all Christians from the world. And that's the second thing that I want you to note about Saul. A second reason why I think it makes him an all-star in the faith. A real example for you to consider. Because not only did he start in the place of unbelief, he actually was so convinced that the Jesus message was for no one that he actively opposed it and worked against it. And that might be where you are today. Maybe today you accepted the invitation to come to church out of obligation or maybe kindness toward a friend or family member, but you're really set against this whole idea of God and Jesus and church and religion. And if that's the case, I want you to know that we really are honored that you would stretch as far as you have and come and and respectfully participate with us as, as we observe this faith of ours. But I also hope that you'll consider that a great many intellectual And a great many sharp minds, like Saul, once thought and felt as you do, but have changed their minds. See, intellectual honesty means that from time to time, we open our minds and reconsider the possibility of changing our position on life's big ideas. One day, Saul was out on his official anti-Jesus campaign, headed to the capital city of Syria, and was uh, considering his arguments against the faith and considering his schedule, his agenda for his time in Damascus, uh, where he was going to go and rough up some more Jesus people. And as he went over all these things in his mind, he had a mystical experience. It was in the middle of the day, but this light, kind of like those two, comes down out of the sky, brighter than the sun, and shone right into Paul's eyes. It was so painful that he kind of staggered a little bit, ended up falling to the ground and found himself blinded. Now his travel companion, he didn't imagine this because his travel companions saw the whole thing too. And while Paul was lying there trying to figure out what in the world was happening, he heard this voice that identified itself as Jesus and asked him, why are you bothering me? Saul, why are you persecuting me? What did I ever do to you? 
the voice went on to say something like this. Listen, you're fighting something much bigger than you saw and it's not going to work. And I am calling it to an end right now. I am proving my power to you right now. That burning sensation in your retinas ought to get through. Okay. I want you to believe in me. I want you to work for me. Your job just took a 180 degree change. Now go to Damascus, connect with my people. They'll help you connect with me and more of my people. Amazing story. So check it out. Saul started out in a place of unbelief, then moved farther in the same direction and opposed Christianity, tried to extinguish it. But when he one more time considered life's big ideas, he ended up having some kind of a mystical encounter with God and truth, and he changed his mind. And Saul said, what do you know? The gospel is for me. It's another thing that I want you to consider about Saul. Even the strongest minds and the most resistant hearts can change if you consider the truth again. I want to invite you to open your hearts and your minds to consider once again whether the Jesus story might be true. And I want to invite you as well to open yourself up to the possibility of God and Jesus speaking to you while you're sitting where you're sitting right now. Know this, God doesn't often speak out loud. We all wish he did or sent email or something. He doesn't. Instead, he usually just sensitizes a person's heart or mind to the place that they begin to feel like there's something significant happening in this moment, something that you can't always put your finger on. Sometimes it just feels like a stirring of your heart and it doesn't always feel that good. So know this, if there's a stirring in your heart this morning, even even one that's kind of unsettling, there's a good chance that it's God speaking to you, urging you to believe the message about his son, Jesus. Perhaps right now, God's telling you, what do you know? The Jesus message is for you. Well, Saul took the whole experience seriously and and humble enough to admit that he'd been wrong about Jesus. He then started making his way back around the Mediterranean world, telling people about his life-changing go-round with Jesus. Uh, He would also reason from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus really is God's son and that the Old Testament Bible kind of proves that and that through his sacrificial death and his resurrection, he's made it possible for people finally to have some kind of a healthy and holy connection with the God who made them. But get this, Paul didn't get the big picture at first. For a while after his conversion, he thought that the gospel message, the Jesus message, was only for him and people like him. He thought it was only for Jewish people, that that only the people like him should really get access to God. So he went from Jewish community to Jewish community to Jewish community, sharing his faith and largely avoiding people who weren't Jewish. And it's another reason why I want to recommend that you consider Paul as an example in the faith, albeit a bad example. Saul thought there was an us and a them when it came to faith. And that some of the people who were on the outside of the faith were so dangerous and unworthy of love that they should be avoided. He thought that there were those people in the world. He thought that the gospel and the kingdom that is built upon it was for us and for people like us. And it is a trap that is way, way too easy for all of us to fall into church after church after church, Christian 
after Christian after Christian has fallen into this trap. Someone introduces us to this incredible life in connection with Jesus. And at first, we can't keep our mouths shut about it. If people just stand still for two seconds, we'll start talking to them about spiritual things. But then for some reason, as time goes by and we begin to benefit even more from our personal faith, and we also gain the benefits of participating in a faith community, we really start to dig the benefits Nothing wrong with that. But a problem develops. The problem is that those benefits then begin to sort of insulate us and isolate us from the world out there. And, and we begin to like this cozy comfort of ours a little bit too much. Sometimes we even go so far as to withhold the gospel message from the people God put around us because we don't want our children to end up being like those people. We don't want them messing up this sweet little deal that we've got going on here in the kingdom. So we slip into thinking that we're God's people and that whoever those people may be, they're not us. And we grow comfortable with the notion of them being very much separate from us. And we find some sort of illegitimate comfort in thinking that even Moses told God, send somebody else. Listen, when we do that, It sentences some people to a lifetime and an eternity separated from the God who made them. And God is not okay with that and never is going to be. If there was one thing that Jesus made clear in his teaching, it's that the gospel isn't for the people on the inside of the kingdom. It's for the people who aren't in yet. This is where you say amen a lot. The gospel isn't for the people inside the kingdom. The gospel is for the people who aren't in the kingdom yet. You need some convincing? How about Jesus' lesson that healthy people don't need doctors? How about the lesson where he said, I'll leave the 99 sheep in the fold just to go looking for the one that isn't in the fold yet. Saul thought that the gospel was for us, people like him, people like us. So he only went to the Jews with the Jesus message, and he could not have been more wrong. Who are those people to you? Are they ethnic minorities? Are they poor people? Are they addicts? Are they politically liberal or conservative? Are they bad kids? Do they live in a particular area in Lewiston or Clarkston or or on the reservation? Saul at first missed one of the main points of that day of Pentecost event that we all celebrate every year by equipping the first Jesus people to speak the Jesus message in 15 different languages to all the people who were present that day. God was saying that he intends to give himself and his life and his love to everybody everywhere. That Jesus' life isn't just for us and people like us. It is for absolutely everyone. And that is a good thing and it really should wind your clock and get you really excited because unless you are a full-blooded Jew, you never stood a chance to get into the kingdom if it hadn't been given to people like us. Those people. We are those people. No, wait a minute. There are no those people. It's just this gospel message given to people who will be generous with it, taken to everybody. So consider Paul's bad example and then consider this. 
he also changed his mind on that matter too. After working a while on following plan A, he realized that that wasn't exactly working. So here's the way that it worked out for him. He started going from Jewish community to Jewish community to Jewish community, and all that he was finding was cold hearts and closed minds and angry arguments and committed opposition. And then they kept repeating this phrase, man, we ought to kill that guy. (laughs) And real quick, like, ding, the light goes on in Saul's head, and he thought, "Hmm, maybe I should work a different plan. One day it was just like he woke up to the matter and said, man, this should be working. These are God's people, right? But it isn't. So I guess I'll take the message of God's love and forgiveness and and, and new life to other people. And so he, he stormed out of the synagogue where he was that day and started talking Jesus with the folks that he had formerly considered to be those people. And that's why I want you to consider Paul, Saul, as an example in the faith because he eventually decided that the gospel is for everyone. And then he did something about it. One last reason I want you to consider Saul as an example in the faith is because there was a day when he put it all together and he realized that the Jesus story takes me and us and them and works a handful of miracles. First of all, he does this. Jesus makes us one. You can read elsewhere in the New Testament where where the author said, you know what? He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Guess who the author was? Paul, Saul. There was a day when he came to understand that what Jesus really did is he came to tear down the wall of hostility that separated the us and the them. The Jesus story makes us one. The Jesus story also causes us to love one another, but to always make room for another and another and another. The Jesus story also turns us into these believable nearly irresistible signs of God's love in this world. Let me ask you something. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? You can be. Today, right now, no matter the condition of your heart, your mind, or your philosophical commitments that you've posted on Facebook, when you came in this morning, however it was that you thought and felt about life in this world, it can change before you leave here today. When you leave here today, you can be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, a united kingdom, a kingdom of love, a kingdom on the march to do something good and beautiful and redemptive and effective in this world. Did you come in here today thinking, ah, this Jesus deal isn't for me? Guess what? All of us once thought that too. I mean, just swivel your head. Everybody do this. Yep. Look at the people around you. There are young people and old people here. There are rich people here. There are not so rich people here. Uh, Don't raise your hands. I'm not asking for that. Um, There are professionals There's laborers, there's white-skinned people, there's dark-skinned people, there's Democrats and Republicans, no amens. There's there's brilliant people here, and there are some who are never going to (laughs) be. All of us started in the place of unbelief, but we have changed our minds about Jesus. We believe in him. And we're experiencing life in connection with him as deeply fulfilling 
and very good. And we invite you, our neighbors and friends in the LC Valley, to do the same, to reach toward the God who's reaching toward you today. Jesus' kingdom is populated with people who once did not believe, even with some who scoffed at this foolishness. I just wonder, is today the day that you will decide to become a devoted student of Jesus? Jesus still seeks conversion all-stars, people who will change their minds about him and, and decide to follow him. And guess what? He doesn't expect you to get it right a million percent of the time. He's just looking for people who will change their minds and allow him to change their hearts about others and about him and to decide to love both. So let me ask you another question. It's probably to a different group of people. Did you come in here today connected with Christ and and glad about it, but maybe a little bit too comfortable with the thought that it'll probably be just us here today? Have you grown comfortable with the distance between church people and everybody else, Christians and pre-Christians? Listen, that's no way to live. That is not the Jesus way to live. He was a mixer. He he, He hung out with people that your mom would get on to you for hanging out with. Sorry, moms, a bunch of teens sitting right in front of me. I'm not making eye contact, I promise. Jesus was was constantly finding the people who outwardly were nothing like him. The poor, the diseased, the foreign, the irreligious. You know why? Because the gospel isn't for us alone. It's for them. So that they become us. And then help us reach out to more of them who become part of us. You get it, right? So if God tapped you on the shoulder today about that, you just talk with him about that. But to everyone, both the people who are maybe just for the first time considering this whole Jesus deal and the people who maybe need an attitude adjustment about the way they've been thinking about the Jesus deal, to everybody I say this. This gospel, this Jesus message, is to be lived, not merely thought about. So you heard a little bit earlier in the service about a handful of ways that you can tear down the dividing wall of hostility and take the love of God out of this place and into the place where it belongs, the streets. I bet that if you got shoeboxes to Pam by dark 30 tonight, she'd still take them. Hmm? Yeah. I bet that if you saw Steve at the end of the service and you said, how many zeros... He'd say, just keep writing. I bet that if you saw Julie Burke after the service today, she'd tell you a meaningful way that you could help us just take food to people who don't always get three squares a day, who live within eye shot. Three possible responses. Get a shoebox and get it full fast. Get it to Pam today. See Steve after the service today. But I asked a question earlier, and it was directed toward the people who maybe are, maybe think of themselves as outside the faith. I said that today, 
if you would open your minds one more time and consider the possibility that the Jesus story might be true, and if you open your mind just a little bit further and consider the possibility that if there is a God, he might talk to you today, he might talk to you today, I want to invite you to do that.